Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Chip Yurkaitis, a partner in Kelly Dry's Communications Group. I am joined by two of the associates in our group, Avani Bell and Ross Slutsky. Together, we will be discussing the next generation of wireless mobile networks, commonly referred to as 5G, and related federal regulatory activity. We'll be looking at what a 5G network is. We'll touch on what 5G will enable consumers and industry to do. And our main focus will be on several proceedings at the FCC designed to help facilitate the deployment of 5G. Ross, start us off with some basics. What is 5G? Thanks, Chip. 5G networks are the proposed next-generation telecommunication standards beyond the current 4G LTE and LTE advanced standards. The standards for 5G are still being developed. One of the key bodies at the forefront of standards development The Third Generation Partnership Project, or 3GPP, is a collaboration among several international telecommunications standards organizations and involves numerous stakeholders, so it is safe to say that numerous points of view and visions of what 5G is are being considered. Although there still isn't a fixed set of standards in place, compared to today's 4G LTE networks, many industry observers expect 5G networks to offer markedly greater data with greater reliability and availability to support connections of billions of diverse devices and to feature extremely low latencies. 5G networks will be much more than faster network connections by smartphone users. They will also support extremely reliable device-to-device and machine-to-machine communications. Many expect the robust interoperability of 5G to drive rapid growth in the Internet of Things. It sounds like 5G will be transformative for both consumers and industry. What is the anticipated time frame for 5G deployment? Leading wireless providers began conducting numerous 5G tests in 2016 and reported achieving some mind-boggling speeds. These tests continue to roll out as we speak, hand-in-hand with and informing the standards development process. We can expect wider-scale demonstrations in the near future, such as 5G coverage at the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. Once global standards are adopted, Standard-compliant field tests will reveal even more about what we can expect from 5G. Ross, on the topic of standards, we should mention that, originally, by 2020, the International Telecommunication Union, or ITU, had expected to set the standards globally, and standards bodies were working toward that deadline. But more recently, the pressure by carriers to be the first to deploy 5G networks has led to a significant acceleration in the standards development timetable. As a result of meetings late in the first quarter, 3GPP now anticipates that the first global 5G standard, although intermediate, will be a subject of focus in the latter part of the year and will be released by the first quarter of 2018. More comprehensive standards will be coming later in 2018. It is still an open question when the first standards-compliant commercial rollouts will occur 
and how extensive they will be, but certainly we can expect to see 5G deployment in the United States between 2018 and 2024. But why should we care about 5G? 5G will create new opportunities for industry, government, and consumers alike. Whereas previous network generations of service have been focused on connecting devices, for example, 4G and smartphones, 5G will be much more than a new radio access technology. 5G will enable the connection of a diverse set of systems and services, which means connecting myriad types of devices in comparison to 4G. This will create novel demands for 5G networks because of the needs of these various services and systems. One of the widely anticipated features of 5G networks is that they will enable so-called network slicing, which is a mechanism of customizing network performance to meet simultaneously the requirements of divergent users on the same network in terms of latency, bandwidth, throughput, and other parameters. For example, remote surgery will require extremely low latency, near zero latency in fact, and high reliability. While on the other hand, certain sensors on appliances in the home may only have periodic and small bursts of information that need not be transmitted in real time. With the network slicing enabled by 5G, providers will be able to manage the connections of users and their diverse devices and the demands placed on the network to satisfy their particular requirements. Chip, as you mentioned, 5G will be much more than a new radio access technology. While 5G represents an advance beyond today's 4G LTE and other legacy systems, these existing systems and capabilities will also be part of 5G solutions. 5G will be an ecosystem designed to meet requirements for communications in 2020 and beyond to overcome the limits of existing systems and networks. Now that we have established a baseline of the significance of 5G, let's turn to what the FCC is doing to enable 5G systems to come to fruition. To deliver on the promises that carriers racing to offer 5G are making, 5G will require providers to deliver greater data capacity and lower latency. 5G will lead to significant network densification with materially larger numbers of transmitters and receivers and thus smaller radio cells. Further, all of the data and video being carried over 5G systems will require an expansion of not only end-user radio access capabilities, but of network backhaul. This can be done either wirelessly or through wireline facilities. As a result, there are two areas in particular where 5G systems will benefit from regulatory action, making additional spectrum available and measures that ease infrastructure deployment. Ross, what can you tell us about relevant spectrum happenings at the FCC? There are a number of ongoing proceedings by the FCC aimed at facilitating next-generation connectivity. The current proceedings addressing Spectrum that 5G providers are targeting were actually started under the watch of former Chairman Tom Wheeler and inherited by the current commission. The most noteworthy proceedings in this respect are the proceeding in the 3.5 GHz band and the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding. The 3.5 GHz band is the home of a new citizens broadband radio service and is subject to an experimental three-tiered access and sharing framework comprised of incumbent access, priority access, and general authorized access tiers. The proceeding seeks to enable new modes of dynamic spectrum access and sharing. Since the Commission partially envisioned 3.5 as a suitable band for small cell deployment, the plan is to auction off unprecedentedly small geographic license areas. If successful, the shared access system 
from the 3.5 GHz band may influence rules in subsequently allocated bands. However, it remains to be seen whether all the present rules will remain in place. Earlier this year, Republican FCC Commissioner Michael O'Reilly revealed FCC plans to pursue rule changes in the 3.5 GHz band. According to O'Reilly, Chairman Ajit Pai put him in charge of reviewing and revising the shared band plan, with a focus on getting a functional plan in place prior to focusing on extending any dynamic frequency access regulatory frameworks to other bands, such as bands adjacent to the 3.5 GHz band, which are being considered as possible additional homes for next-generation wireless. Both O'Reilly and Pi criticized the order for providing licensees with insufficient incentives to invest in the band, citing the inadequate size and temporal duration of the licenses. Ross, if you don't mind, I will jump in quickly here. Congress is currently working on the Mobile Now Act, a nonpartisan bill co-sponsored by Senators Thune of South Dakota and Nelson of Florida, that among other things would require the FCC to move forward with assessing the viability of spectrum sharing and commercial uses in the 3.1 to 3.55 gigahertz band and the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz bands. These bands, of course, are adjacent to the 3.5 gigahertz band. Indeed, there is a recent petition for rulemaking filed by the Fixed Wireless Communications Coalition with the Commission that seeks policy and rule changes that would expand the use of the 3.7 gigahertz band by commercial wireless providers. 5G is expected to utilize a wide array of spectrum frequencies, including low, mid, and high frequency spectrum. Many hope that 3.5 gigahertz spectrum will prove valuable as mid-band spectrum for 5G. Internationally, many countries are also examining the 3.5 gigahertz and or bands adjacent to 3.5 gigahertz for initial 5G deployment, making this an important focus of international harmonization that will allow for lower costs for 5G equipment. However, one of the more interesting aspects of 5G is its expected use of higher frequency millimeter wave band spectrum, which is generally considered from a regulatory perspective as spectrum at 24 gigahertz and higher frequencies. Many of the early tests for 5G are being performed in the 28 gigahertz band. At the beginning of this decade, as commercial mobile providers clamored for the federal government to make more spectrum available to meet their growing demands, millimeter wave spectrum was considered unsuitable. In the past few years, however, various technological developments have made this spectrum a lot more attractive for commercial mobile wireless carriers. And it is now seen as essential for 5G, especially where large bandwidths are required, such as for backhaul. The Commission is well aware of this opportunity. In July 2016, in the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding, the FCC allocated new frequency bands for flexible uses such as 5G services after a very short proceeding that launched in October 2015. Then Republican FCC Commissioner and current FCC Chairman Ajit Pai voted in favor of the Spectrum Frontiers report and order. Under the new rules, the Commission created the Upper Microwave Flexible Use Service, making available for flexible mobile and fixed use almost 4 gigahertz of spectrum located in the 28, 37, and 39 gigahertz bands, as well as provided for unlicensed use in the 64 to 71 gigahertz band. This order is currently subject to petitions for reconsideration, which seek to refine the technical and operational rules, especially as to sharing between terrestrial users and satellite systems in some of the spectrum at issue. 
The FCC is currently in the midst of a later phase of the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding. In the further notice of proposed rulemaking, the FCC is considering making up to an additional 18 gigahertz of spectrum in bands between 24 and 86 gigahertz available for the upper microwave flexible use service. Furthermore, although the use of 28 gigahertz band for 5G was never addressed at the ITU's WORK 15, to the consternation of the United States, many millimeter wave bands that the FCC is looking at in the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding are on the agenda for WORK 19 for international consideration. Most of the 4 gigahertz of spectrum made available in the July 2016 order will be assigned through auctions, although existing LMDS licensees were grandfathered and will be converted to the new UMFIS services. No millimeter wave auctions have yet been scheduled following the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding, but Verizon and AT&T have recently made significant moves through leases or announced acquisitions to gain access to the 28 and 39 gigahertz bands. Thanks, Ross. Clearly, there is a lot on the FCC's plate regarding spectrum targeted for 5G. Now let's turn to the subject of infrastructure. Rapid access to appropriate wireless antenna sites, including buildings, as well as access to poles and rights-of-way for both wireless and wireline facilities is seen as key for successful 5G rollouts. These infrastructure builds are necessary for end-user and device links but also for backhaul within the networks to transport all of the traffic that will be generated by 5G and the Internet of Things. April was deemed Infrastructure Month at the FCC. At the Commission's April 20th open meeting, the Commissioners voted to initiate two dockets and multiple proceedings within each docket to review ways in which the agency might alleviate obstacles that both wireless and wireline broadband providers face at the state, local, and tribal levels when trying to install new or upgraded infrastructure. Avani, can you tell us about some of the specific rule changes the FCC is considering for broadband infrastructure deployment? Sure. The wireless infrastructure proceeding consists of a notice of proposed rulemaking and a notice of inquiry that focuses on enabling wireless providers to deploy cell sites in a faster and cheaper manner. The FCC examines the process for deployment of wireless facility applications that is conducted by state and local regulatory agencies. Section 332 of the Communications Act recognizes state and local authority to review wireless antenna siting applications, subject to some limitations, including an obligation to decide on siting applications within a reasonable period of time. However, there have been a number of complaints from wireless providers that local governments often hold up decisions on antenna siting requests. As a result, the FCC solicits comment in the wireless infrastructure proceeding on the effectiveness of its efforts so far to implement the statutory provision. In 2009, the FCC adopted a rule with a 90-day or 150-day shot clock, depending on the siting application type. The rule created a presumption that a state or local government has failed to meet its obligation to act within a reasonable period of time if they had not responded within the shot clock deadline. Yet, even if the deadline is missed, the applicant's only option was to seek a court injunction approving the application. The need to pursue litigation remedies under the current FCC approach before an application is granted can lead to even more delay and significant costs before a proposed antenna can finally be installed. The FCC, mindful of the adverse effect on the rollout of wireless services, seeks comment on a possible rule adopting a deemed-granted remedy, 
whereby applications are approved when state and local agencies fail to act within a reasonable period of time. In the wireless proceeding, the FCC also examines its rules implementing the National Environmental Policy Act and the National Historic Preservation Act. These laws require reviews of the impact on the environment or historic properties of proposed construction of DAS and small cell facilities. The Commission seeks input on the costs associated with the review process under both statutes. The FCC proposes, among other things, shorter allowed timelines for historic preservation reviews and a rule categorically excluding small cells and DAS facilities from environmental review. It is worth noting that any changes to the rule that the FCC decides to adopt would ultimately need to be approved by the relevant environmental and historic preservation organizations. Avani, the wireless infrastructure proceeding signals growing interest from various stakeholders, private and public, to identify actions that can be taken to improve high-speed broadband availability across the country. The FCC's wireless effort comes after a petition for declaratory ruling from a company called Mobility that raised many of the same concerns about state and local governments potentially delaying decisions on antenna siting requests and inhibiting access to rights-of-way. Mobility asked the Commission late last year to preempt state and local governments' authority over rights-of-way access by adopting statutory interpretations to facilitate deployment. The mobility petition raises matters that are teed up for discussion in the NOI of the FCC's wireless proceeding, which deal with Sections 253 and through 332 of the Act. The FCC is looking at the scope of each provision, how each should be interpreted both individually and in relationship to each other, to further the goal of facilitating wireless broadband deployment. These provisions contain language that is intended to constrain state and local government decisions, or requirements, that may slow communications infrastructure deployment while retaining an appropriate measure of control by localities over land use decisions and public rights of way. The FCC seeks comment on how to interpret these provisions in a way that gives the agency the maximum authority to promote broadband deployment. For example, the NOI seeks input on whether certain criteria that localities employ when reviewing wireless siting applications could be deemed a violation of these statutory provisions by discriminating against an applicant, even if on their face they appear to be neutral. Thanks, Chip. Recently, there's also been a lot of activity at the state level with bills introduced in state legislatures like Arizona, Colorado, and Florida, to name a few. These bills seek to limit barriers to wireless facility siting that result from certain local government efforts or lack of effort, as the case may be. The process for pursuing these proposed rule changes will be interesting and likely to yield a large number of filings. There has already been some resistance from localities and tribal entities about the FCC beginning this effort without first consulting them. Now let's turn to the wireline item. This takes an approach similar to the wireless item by proposing a number of initiatives in a new docket. It comes in the form of a notice of proposed rulemaking, notice of inquiry, and a request for comment. The FCC's objective here is to better enable broadband providers to build and upgrade their networks or transition from legacy networks to next-generation networks and services. This proceeding undertakes the FCC's most extensive look at pole attachment regulation in six years. 
It offers a number of modifications to the commission's rules with the stated desire of balancing the legitimate needs and interests of new attachers, existing attachers, utilities, and the public. The proposed modifications deal with speeding up access to polls by reforming timelines to gain access to polls, examining how and when third-party contractors are used to do make-ready work, and instituting more transparency in the process and charges for attaching to a poll. In the wireline proceeding, the FCC also seeks comment about the existence and scope of its authority under Section 253 of the Act to prospectively prohibit rather than simply preempt state and local laws that might hinder broadband deployment. Finally, I wanted to mention that there's also language in the pending Mobile Now Act that we mentioned earlier that encourages broadband infrastructure deployment. The bill includes a DIGWANS provision, which would require implementation of measures so that a single conduit through which both current and future communications facilities can be run should be laid at the same time other below-ground infrastructure work is being done. Thanks, Avani. As one last item, I would like to highlight the recent creation of the Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee, or BDAC, by the Commission, by which it seeks recommendations on ways to further its objective of accelerating broadband deployment and removing barriers to infrastructure investment. The committee held its first meeting in April and is comprised of public interest and private sector stakeholders. One of the first actions the committee will pursue will be the development of model codes for states and local governments that will better facilitate deployment. The efforts we have discussed today are understandably the objects of considerable industry attention. They are some of the key vehicles by which the FCC and Congress hope to further the larger objective of promoting broadband, including 5G, by incenting investment and build-out of networks. They also further the broader expressed interest of the Trump administration, which is to remove regulatory barriers for industry and identify opportunities for infrastructure investment. The recent FCC activity suggests that the current commission is primed to move rapidly on the matters we have discussed today, so these spectrum and infrastructure initiatives merit close monitoring. We want to thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Kelly Dry Communications Group and our full spectrum podcasts at www.kellydry.com. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff or management. <laughs>